All right, I think we're good to go. Okie dokie. How are you this evening? I am well. Pretty tired, but good. You got way better recovery than I did last night. I only got 51%. I know. I saw that. I was wondering about that because I missed two hours of sleep and getting out of bed this morning was rough. Yeah, I uh, I got like a full night's worth or whatever, give or take. Um, and I even take magnesium, took magnesium last night. But I think maybe I was a little hungry because I didn't eat as much food yesterday. Um, sure. Not like on purpose or anything. I just had a smaller dinner or whatever. And then I think I was also a little warm because it's been really warm. My AC's been struggling. So uh, I think it might have been those two things. So I had a pretty big dinner an hour or so ago so i assume i'll be fine but yeah nice i assume that's what it was but i had a good are you going to work out today or anything you can probably do some push-ups before i go to bed but not really like a full workout or anything okay i should have you beat on strain today then oh yeah no i saw that i was like because at work i did a bit um but then I saw you were at 14. I was like, oh, I'm going to lose this one. So. <laughs> I got to keep my soccer days to Tuesdays when you don't have Frisbee or something so I can win a day. Now, I don't have Frisbees on Tuesdays anymore, so I'm going to have to figure something else out. Oh, yeah. I forgot that you used to. Because of the anyway. Nice. How's my camera um, quality? Oh, it's yeah, it's better than mine for sure. It looks sharp. Good. Good. Now we'll finally get some listeners. <laughs> yes. Facts. Uh, and if if not, then we uh, we know what the problem is. It's me not having one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Well, we just recorded the most recent episode on Friday, so we have a little bit shorter of a, a catch-up time and whatnot. But... Um, I thought I would share a couple things that I came across. I just thought were, was interesting. And then I just got done watching uh, a pretty interesting podcast that I found super engaging. So I figured we could chat about some of the stuff from that. But before we do that, uh, had, do you have any follow-ups from follow-up thoughts from the conversation that we had on Friday? And or do you have any other overreaching thoughts or content you found interesting? No, I don't. I don't think so. Not as of yet, anyways. Okay. Oh. And uh, do you watch or listen to anything interesting this past week or past few days? No. I actually didn't really watch anything. So. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Um. <clears throat> not um. <laughs> so. Notes that I had were so one thing which actually I sent this to you, but one thing I thought was worth highlighting was that Jocko Fuel slash Jocko Willink reference to or quote uh, that basically weakness is strong, you must be stronger. And more I think about like I you know I, I think I came across it yesterday or the day before or whatever 
But the more I think about that, the more true I think it is. And so even today, there were some things where I was like, you know, would be and or were an act of weakness, whether, you know, whatever it was. But it had a really strong pull <laughs> and definitely required a lot of, you know, a comparative level of strength to overcome. And whether it was, you know, wanting to be distracted by YouTube videos instead of working or things like that, uh, you know, and today was a little bit easier in general, actually, because I had two different meetings. I went and played, you know, practice soccer, ran around in the middle of the day. Plus I had to rush to get a haircut, uh, rush to get to my haircut appointment. So I had my day really broken up and then my meetings were actually really awesome and great. So, um, so it was easier than maybe a tip typical day of like, you know, I'm actually just supposed to work for six hours straight or whatever. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there to the, to the pod and the listeners as a, uh, I thought something we're thinking about and maybe referencing in your own life from a relative to weakness is strong. You must be stronger if you want to overcome it. And I like that because it's not, I think it's easy to think of what, no, it reinforces the framework and the, the thought process and the reality of your uh, your life either improving or degrading one way or the other, regardless of what you do. Like not, not acting is a choice, right? And essentially action or interaction has equal strength to it and overcoming, like acquiescing to weakness is being overcome by something versus it just being kind of a zero sum game and you're just it happened to be at level zero and it's no big deal. Um, and overcoming weakness takes strength, not just taking, you know, uh, you're, you're battling against something. You're not just like taking this, you know, step off the couch uh, as if like that's the, you know, it's just that easy. You're going, just go to zero to one. Actually, you're going from a negative one pull to a positive one action. Um, and I liked it because I think that's what a lot of people like get motivated, listen to motivational lists, get excited, blah, blah, blah. Right. Then they like they're running the first hard thing. Like, oh, man, it's kind of harder than I thought. Or I don't know if I have the discipline to pursue this or, you know, whatever the situation is. And it's not just that you're not strong. It's that you have to be strong enough to overcome the power of weakness. So I liked it. Yeah, totally. It's a good breakdown. Uh, so one of the other things, <laughs> this is a side note. <laughs> uh, did you see that Andrew Tate got like, or yeah, Andrew Tate got like deplatformed and stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think we can be the new good version of Andrew Tate. So all of his followers and supporters and the people that hate him can just come to this podcast instead. Yes. Yes, we don't. Uh, yeah, exactly. I agree. I, I saw that he posted a video. It was like my last video or whatever the heck. And someone was like, watch this. You know, I was like, okay, I'll just click on it. See what it was. But I don't know how long it was and it wouldn't let you skip. So I was like, I'm not going to sit here and watch this thing. Yeah, like, I want to skip no an interesting part. I don't care about his backstory. I just want to see if he has a summary. Anyway, I thought it was funny. I was like, bro, <laughs> at least put a slider on there so I can skip ahead. You know, yeah, although we'll probably get banned too at some point. So 
Never underestimate your enemies. Uh, okay, so a couple things uh, topic-wise. So I was I'm reading this book called Range, and it's basically about the the powerhouse that a generalist can be slash the power that a generalist has over, or at least in contrast to, or the contrasting power that they have to someone who's a specialist. And it's mostly oriented towards career oriented things from a, you know, professional career sort of thing, but whether it's sports, athleticism, chess, you know, work in the office, whatever. And uh, he's one of the things he was doing uh, in the most recent chapter that I was reading was he talked about two fundamental elements of learning, which I hadn't come across before, but I realized that I practiced because Jeremy and I have been talking about, Jeremy asked me questions about, you know, how I think or how I tackle problems and stuff like that all the time. And um, it's a, it's a regular part of our discourse, how we engage in that. And I literally had talked with him about these two principles relative to how I work without realizing that they're a legitimate thing that I practice. So, A, I thought it was interesting that I practiced it, I don't know if intuitively or at least based off, you know, the outcome of my experiences as a kid, and that um, it seemed like they were worth being aware of and noting and maybe uh, worth trying to apply or at least see where they applied in your life. So, the first one was this concept of desire, it's, this is a term, desirable difficulty. And essentially, it describes the idea that students, because this was in like a learning environment, Students need tasks that challenge them to the right degree in order to learn best. Because, for instance, in the modern learning system or like the modern classroom, classroom, right? A student, like say a teacher, this is the example they used, a real life example that they recorded. A, a teacher is trying to explain to students how to use algebra, right, or how to do an algebraic um, equation, which I think they were explaining um, uh, narrative correlation, I think. But anyway, where n represents a number. And so two times n is like the algebraic equation, right? But the idea is where how so you can use n and the concept of n in a broader application than just, you know, if there n is the number of five apples and there were two people each with n apples, how many apples were there? n, right? Uh, or I guess it'd be 20 if there were 10 apples to n, right? So anyway, uh, or no, five times two, yeah, 10. So anyway, that was like the concept. And basically what would happen and what our natural, what humans are very good at is uh, we're very good at trying to establish sequential order of events. And so a student would be like, ask a question. Well, is it 10 or is it, you know, or is it seven? Well, it's 10. Okay, now I figured out it's just two times five, right? And so then the next problem would be like, okay, if Sarah, Sally, and Billy each have n horses, and uh, you know, n equals seven horses. How many horses are there? Oh, 21, right? But all they're doing is they're multiplying. They're not actually learning how to apply. And they just go through this process of asking the question, asking the question until they get the teacher to basically give them a hint. Because you know, one student be like, Well, is it is it 10 or is it 21? Right? They'll ask both questions. They're not actually solving it, they're just throwing both plausible potential answers out there for the teacher to then tell them the right answer. They're not actually figuring it out yeah. um, over the course of the lesson. And so basically there's this, this demonstrable uh, effect, which it was coined by Robert B.J. O.R.K. So I don't know if that's Bjork or Jork or what, 
Um, but essentially he went in and this concept of desirable difficulty is that you actually have to figure something out in order for it to have a long lasting performance related impact, long-term performance outcome on your life, on your learning experience. And so for instance, students that went through this uh, with, uh, would learn under the, under the context of desirable, or within the context of desirable difficulty being applied, they would actually do worse on tests and worse on you know, overall like immediate tests on the subject matter, et cetera, et cetera, right? And even for the whole semester. But at the end of the semester or at the end of graduation, those students did phenomenally well bet, uh, better like five years later than the students in graduation, than the students who just kind of learned how to execute the equation without actually learning the concept and being challenged to understand the concept of n being a variable number or whatever. So, um, or a correlation concept. So, uh, so anyway, basically just this idea of being challenged. And I was thinking about like a real world, real world example. Uh, you know, I've been, one of our brothers has been trying to figure out how to um, tackle uh, an issue in, uh, in Warzone because like they can get into some games, not other games. I can't figure out why, right? And if I was the teacher in kind of the first scenario, I would be going on Google, trying to figure out what the answer is, saying, well, have you tried this? Well, have you tried that? Well, I, I read this, right? I'd be sending them YouTube videos to watch, right? But what, it, what I did is I went and said, um, you know, well, I'd start Googling. You know, <laughs> that's all I said. And, you know, even you heard last night, it's like, oh, I'm tired of doing this problem, right? But what he learned and that practice of how he learned it in two years from now will be way stronger than me just telling him how to solve it. It'll be stuck in his brain how he solved it once he gets to the solution. Um, so yeah, totally, that's obviously a real light example, but I think a very real and practical one from an attitude standpoint. Um, and, and it, it basically to extrapolate the concept of a little bit, the basic premise for broader application is that it is okay to struggle, to figure things out, and it's okay to get things wrong. What's important is that you're trying to solve for it and that your brain is going through the mental stress of trying to solve and figure it out because it is, it is literally training and setting up your brain to be a critical thinker and to be a problem solver and to be a successful executor over time. Yeah, absolutely. It's like people want to do things that are easy. They want to, you know, they want to, you know, they, they want to stream, but they don't want to figure out how to use OBS or Streamlabs, right? It's like, oh, I just want to turn on a yeah. stream, right? Uh, you're not challenging yourself, right? And it's not even, you know, obviously it's also not as good of a product, but right, you're going the easy route and you're reinforcing in your brain to go the easy route and you're not training your brain to be stronger and smarter um, just over the course of natural things. And it also gets in the way of you actually achieving because every time you're dealing with that difficulty, you're raising your own personal bar. Right. And so, yeah. right. In high school, the things that were difficult or in college, the things were, were difficult were, you know, trying to do math problems or, you know, work on papers and, you know, whatever it was, or, you know, solve an airsoft game, uh, war game scenario. Right. But those are all things that made it 
made me better and better at problem solving in theory, right? Then, then set me up so that when I run into a crazy situation, um, well, when I'm doing security at the IHOP <laughs> and there's a crazy scenario that developed, right? I was able to, you know, think clearly, problem solve. And it doesn't mean I handled it perfectly. There were still some critiques, right? But like, once you go through that scenario, right? That difficult scenario, I then go to, you know, a normal job and I'm like, eh, the rest of this is, this is punk stuff, right? I, like to, in order to challenge myself, I need to be doing this, this, and this. Um, and so you're, you're raising your bar by walking through that difficulty. And it's not to say that you have to be like, I just love difficulty or I love beating myself in the head with a book or whatever. <laughs> it's more just to say that it's important to be comfortable with being, with things being difficult and understand that that's actually an acceptable thing and uh, even a desirable thing, even if you don't enjoy it necessarily. Yeah. Now, if you can learn to quote unquote, embrace, you know, it's like embrace the suck basically. <laughs> um, but not just that, but if you can learn to love it and learn to appreciate it and learn to figure out, you know, embrace it essentially, then it actually, you, you know, you end up with even more power because you're opening up your brain, your brains, you know, your brain waves are going, Hey, this is good. Hey, this is awesome. Hey, we love doing this. This is great. Right. It's giving you positive endorphins, all that sort of stuff. Versus like, oh, I don't like solving problems. I don't like doing this. And like, oh, I'm, you know, I shy away every time something's hard. Uh, I shy away every time there's a problem that someone's not just telling me how to solve it. And um, so anyway, I thought that was both really cool and really interesting. The second thing, which is actually related um, and kind of similar context is this concept of interlevel uh, or interleaving. So interleaving is a process where students mix or interleave multiple subjects or topics while they study in order to improve their learning. So, uh, I think we should go water here. Okay. So basically, interleaving is when you say you're in school, right? And you're studying math. Instead of studying how to do one plus one equals two, one divided by or two divided by one is two. And, you know, then two times one is two. Instead of like learning each of those sequentially. Now, obviously you have to provide, you, know, you can't just do this calculus and one plus one or whatever. Um, but if you take four or five different subjects that are related to one another, instead of learning them sequentially, you learn about one, then you take a break and you learn about the other and take a break and you learn about the other. And then you come back to learning about the first one. And then you learn about the second one, right? You mix it up and you, you don't just go sequentially. So the examples that they used is uh, people who were um, trying to memorize a list. So the people uh, are like a, a number of cards. So, um, or like words on a card, right? So the people who tried to memorize, you know, apple, beta, carb, you know, ABCD, whatever, right? Versus the people would do well, would do better than the people who was like, Delta, Charlie, you know, Alpha in, in reverse order or whatever, they would do better than them if you immediately tested like 15 seconds later or uh, less than 15 seconds later. 15 seconds up to an hour plus later, the people who learned it out of order, quote unquote, out of order, did way better on recalling the actual words when they were asked to write them down. So that's like a real basic example. But, um, but basically, it's this idea of interleaving. And so two things. So one is the, the time that I like did the best in college, uh, relatively speaking, 
is freshman year finals and like PHC insane workload. Uh, I mean, I think I like, you know, seven, eight, nine finals or whatever it was over the course of a few days. Uh, PHC is no, like, especially year one is apparent or used, used to be, it's easier now. Um, but right. I was like at the very tail end of when it was still difficult, even though it was still technically easier from the first people who went there, but it was like harder than like Harvard, um, from a course load standpoint and content and quantity standpoint, anyway, whatever. So finals in, uh, at PHC freshman year, I had just tons going on and I was studying you know, eight, 10 hours a day constantly it's like i'd study this subject i'd study that subject i'd study this subject and then like oh i got a taste for this i gotta go take it to test for this subject okay now i'm done with that now i go let's go starting for the start studying for the subject that was the semester um and like the yeah the semester i guess the finals when i got the like i got 93 on a test like our american history which is like one of the hardest classes there was um and i'm like i think from after that i got beat or whatever Right. But then on that mm-hmm. particular test, I scored a 93 in finals in the midst of insanity. And I think part of that was I respond positively under pressure. But two is I was, you know, without understanding what I was doing, I was practicing interleaving, interleaving um, as I was studying for these exams. Fast forward a little bit. Uh, Saturday, I was on a walk with Jeremy. We were taking Dean out so because I was watching her on Saturday, taking her out for a walk. And we were talking about, uh, Jeremy asked me, like, you know, how do you think about, for instance, this project I'm working on an SOP for this consulting, consulting I'm doing, right, which is standard operating procedure, um, which is, you know, how we're going to execute on this set of processes. And I told him the way, the way that I think is I will do some work, 30 minutes of work, 20 minutes of work, whatever it is. I'm reading through the documentation. I'm doing some research. And then I go take a break. I go and I'll watch a YouTube video. I'll go work on something else. I'll go record a podcast episode, whatever it is. Um, And sometimes I won't come back to it for two, three days. And then I'll come back to it and then I'll start working on it again. I'll put another hour or two into it like over time, right? And if you're just trying to like, we need SOP done by Friday, that's not, you know, you're just not going to get it done in time if you're executing that way. But if you need this SOP and seven other things done, as excellently and as best as possible in a month from now and have capacity to do even more, that's how you structure it. And you are, you're basically giving your brain a break from that subject so that it refreshes and then you tackle it again, even if you're working on other things. So I actually naturally didn't realize it, but I naturally practice interleaving and I don't, you know, I don't know why per se, um, but I just thought it was really interesting. And oh, going back to desirable difficulty, one of the things I was thinking of or, or, or that I thought of is I also wonder if that's something that I embrace and is a part of my life because growing up, our parents were actually really hard, not in a bad way, just like, you know, they would be like, you know, instead of like carrying me everywhere, I'd be like, yeah, figure out how to crawl. You know, you want to get up on the couch, get up on the couch. We're not lifting up on the couch, right? So from the tiniest age, <laughs> um, that was something being reinforced relative to my personality and which, you know, I you know, probably respond to better than as a first, you know, first child, you know, or oldest child or whatever, whatever else I responded positively to it. Um, and so I wonder if that reinforced this and, you know, like I tend to not mind difficult things as long as they're not, you know, difficult because it's stupid. <laughs> um, and, you know, anyway, that's something else I forgot about, but those are kind of two, topics 
and, and things from reading this book that I thought were just super interesting and worth considering and working into you know, however one is conducting their personal and professional life. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> what do you feel like as, you know, kind of a middle child? <laughs> um, what do you feel like is your take on desirable difficulty in real life? Well, personally, I feel like I always thrive under imposed pressure versus choosing to put it on myself. So, I mean, at work, I love when there's a challenge and I love when there's X amount of orders that have to go out and I have a million different things that I have to pay attention to because we have a sale going on. That type of pressure and that type of responsibility or that kind of responsibility is something that I really thrive on. But if I were to just say to myself oh well today i'm gonna work like 12 i don't know 12 hours 10 hours instead of eight right i don't like doing that um if it happened because it was just the course of my day and it's that's what i needed to do then i would have a great day and it would be fulfilling and i would i would enjoy it um i would enjoy the accomplishment of it so that's what i mean when i say it's imposed yeah um versus me choosing it um i don't know where the, the where the dichotomy lies between me being put in a situation where that's what where that's what is required and then me choosing that situation even though it's not what's required of me gotcha okay yeah, that makes sense. Because in school, I mean, I mean, in high school, I guess that, I mean, anytime there was a test or a final, I was not very, I wasn't very diligent in the days and weeks leading up to it. But in the eight hours before, I would go all out. And that pressure, that time limit that I had or whatever, it was stressful, super stressful, but it also, I didn't, I did some of my best work under that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, I'm not I think sure where that, that falls into what we're talking about, but yeah, well, I think it's related if not. Yeah. As in part of it is connected. I think there's also like, you know, it's possible that different personalities and brains will naturally not like the brain naturally understands that it's good to struggle under pressure. And so it might be like, yeah, but you know, let's create some artificial pressure by waiting a week until the test or, you know, whatever. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of it. Um, but there's, I think there's also a difference between, there's a difference between operating under pressure and the difficulty related to that. And doing something difficult in your brain. Like, I don't know how this thing works. I'm going to figure out how it works. So like when we were trying, you know, when we were setting up streaming, it's like, I did hours of research, you know, what are the best settings? How do they work? You know, what's the best solution? Right. And 
as opposed to just being, which is a sort of self-imposed, but it was motivated by other things. It was, but there wasn't a pressure to it. It was just my brain embracing that challenge in that difficulty context. So again, I think there's a difference between the pressure component of desirable difficulty and the brain figuring something out as a challenge or in the context of challenge versus just being my, you know, being used to or avoiding things because it's difficult in and of itself, regardless of the pressure. Sure. That makes sense. That, okay. Okay. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> what did you listen to today at uh, work? Today? I listened to my typical morning podcasts on politics to keep in touch with what's going on. And then I listen to music. Okay. Um, okay. So earlier today, so as, as most people, if they're, if they follow me, they know, or at least follow me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan of the My First Million podcast. We've mentioned it once or twice on here. And the two co-hosts, Sam Puri, or <laughs> Sam Puri, uh, Sean Puri and Sam. Um, why am I blanking all of a sudden? I think I jinxed myself when I said it reversed the first time. Sam Parr and Sean Puri. There we go. I didn't have to actually look at it. I don't know. Um, Anyway. Your favorite podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, I think I jinxed it by combining them. <laughs> anyway, so I uh, about a, two weeks ago, yeah, about two weeks ago, Sean and his kind of co, co-employer guy, guy who works for him, but they work together on a lot of stuff, his business partner, a lot of different things, named Ben Levy, or Levy. Uh, basically, Sean had this idea, Ben pulled it off, Ben Levy pulled it off, or most of it, to say, hey, they, we're going to DM like, you know, four or five people, whoever, however many, say, we're going to Cal- we're going to North Carolina, we're getting this, these two Airbnbs, and we're going to hang out for two days and do like a basketball camp. You know, okay. send me, Venmo me $1,800, and then show up on this date. And, that's, and what's your shoe size? And that's all they, that's basically all they told them. And then a, several, a bunch of other people found out about it. We're like, hey, I want to come. So they ended up being like 24, 25 guys uh, who go to this thing. And these guys are like, like Sam and Sean, who are very successful. Like Sam sold his company for between, I think, 20 and 30 million to HubSpot. Um, so like, you know, these guys know what they're doing. Uh, you know, number one slash top and or at least top a uh, couple podcasts on business, et cetera. And like these guys were like below average of the caliber of guys um, that were at this at this camp. And it was like a, it was a guys camp in this particular one. They were any women, but whatever. Anyway, they called it Camp MFM. <laughs> uh, they're all happily married, et cetera. <laughs> um, and uh, so or like Sam and Chala. Anyway, so they go to this thing and like Mr. Beast was there. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Like he asked to come. He was like, hey, I want to come. Um, and cool. Hassan. Uh, I, Minaj, I know you're talking about. Hassan Minaj, oh. uh, comedian who's apparently famous. I only know him because he was on <laughs> my first movie. I recognize the name, but... um, he's got millions of followers, I guess. Um, anyway, he was there. 
And then there was, there was one guy who like sold his company for $850 million. Another guy who's or like his company was worth $850 million, but he owned a hundred percent of it and they did tens of millions of dollars of profit. So like this guy's worth a crap ton of money. Um, and then there were people like Sean, Sam, bunch of one guy who like owns a quilting empire. He makes a hundred million dollars a year or whatever in revenue, uh, doing selling like quilting supplies and whatever else. So just like crazy stuff. All these guys are you know, doing completely different things, completely different backgrounds. And they basically show up and basically they sit in, they hang out in the Airbnb, they play like board games, and then they go and do this basketball camp, which they actually got one of the trainers from like professional, like Kyrie Irving is who he was training the day before, I think. And then he came to like the camp to hang out because he like was like met them at some event and was like a huge fan of Ben Levy and Sean. So anyway, wow. right. Cool freaking, you know, it was like two days or whatever it was. And basically they did, they did this. They just released today, this afternoon, a recap podcast of the whole thing, which I've been like waiting for two weeks uh, for. And it was really interesting because they talked a ton about, well, they talked mostly about Mr. Beast, Jimmy, um, because he, you know, he's 24 years old. He's got a hundred million subscribers on one of his YouTube channels. And he's got a couple hundred million followers across all of his platforms. And like his goal is he's like, I want to have a billion followers someday. And I want to build like a hundred billion dollar company and be president. Right. Like that's his thing or whatever. Right. This guy is kids crazy. I mean, I say kid because he's younger than me. <laughs> um, yeah. And so they were talking about how like he in every penny he makes from his YouTube videos gets reinvested back into the business. Yep. Every ounce of his time is spent working on the business and, and or multiple businesses, right? His branding, everything. Um, every ounce of his existence is going into this stuff. And on the one hand, that's obviously like, it's not super help, healthy. And he even admitted apparently that it doesn't make him super happy and it's not super fulfilling. It's just that he's an addict, he's crazy, and this is what he wants to do. And so, you know, that's just what he's doing. End yeah. of kind of end of the, uh, characterization. <laughs> and so it was interesting because they, first of all, I just get a ton of energy listening to these guys. Cause they're like, I walked away being like, I can do more. I should do more. And, or I'm happy with these things in my life, but I want to improve it. And this is what prompted that, um, that summary. I think I sent to you guys from Andrew Huber, who like, you know, like sent the text to his wife. Right. So let's see if I can find it real quick. Yeah. So here's the text that Andrew Huberman, who's one of the guys who went to, he does tens of millions of dollars a year in real estate. Uh, well, um, sh uh, short-term uh, rental, whatever. Anyway, not, not like uh, Airbnb stuff. He does um, storage. There we go. Okay. Nice, so this yeah. is the text he sent to his wife after this camp. I'm very inspired by a lot of guys here had some incredible deep conversations with some spectacular people. A few things I'm ready to change right away. I want a therapist. I want to bring the energy to the kids. I think I need to disconnect from the phone to do that. I want to drink less alcohol. I'm ready to bring a positive mindset to being a family man and dad and start nurturing that garden and working on that area of life. Like I have social and business stuff. I want to start honoring you and treating you like the queen you are. I'm so lucky to have you. Like those were his, takeaways right it's like what <laughs> i'll just take away from this like you know dumb camp right 
But some of the things that he noted was one, we uh, from like from this group of guys, one, we're all dorks. Uh, I was expecting a room full of giants, people with the charisma of Barack Obama and the ability to command a room like Jerry Seinfeld. There was some of that, but for the most part, these are just normal, average-looking acting people. They were brilliant, don't get me wrong. They had overcome the odds to build and sell tech companies. They were insanely smart and excellent at storytelling and conversation. Two, mm-hmm. we're all suffered with insecurity, fear of failure, and a general sense of emptiness at times. Three, they all had a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, four, except for Jimmy, he's not married. <laughs> Uh, four, or, uh, you know, I think he might have a girlfriend, but anyway, whatever. Four, very few of them started new groundbreaking businesses. Five, expectations that don't align with reality is the cause of all unhappiness. Six, the humility is astounding. Seven, very few of them drink alcohol and none drink a lot. Uh, the search, and none of them drink a lot. Uh, the search for meaning and fulfilling joy continues beyond money. So anyway. I just was like listening to this podcast and I was getting punk. And I was also a little sad because I wasn't invited, but two, uh, I've actually had this idea like, wouldn't it be cool to get like, you know, my four or five best friends that I think are awesome and like go do a getaway in Montana or something. I even pitched that. Like we talked about it um, years ago. And, you know, the problem is like people don't have the money, right. You know, it's just a pain uh, to get everybody's schedules to work out. It's helpful. You got to get rich so you can pay for everyone to fly out. (laughs) Um, but it really got me and has been reinforcing this thing I've been thinking about. It's like, how do I find and how do we engage with people of like quality? We might have different interests. We might have different pursuits, but we have a similar quality to us, which is one of, I want to do interesting stuff. And I'm interested in what you're doing because I find it interesting, regardless of whether or not it's something I'm doing. So like Sean, who's working on a crypto newsletter, can have a fantastic conversation with Mr. Beast because they're both mutually interesting people and both mutually interested in one another as a natural form or function of their existence and personality and charisma. Um, And then two is just like, how do you find people that think like that? They're like, oh, yeah, I would totally want to do that camp or like I would be totally down. Let's have that conversation. Um, And. That has just been, in my uh, life, very difficult to find. Um, and there's value to friends and, you know, acquaintances or whatever. But, you know, friends that are there for when you, like, there when you need them, right? They're stalwart. They're, you can count on them, right? But that's only, that only gives you so much juice. And it particularly only really gives you juice in difficult times, right? But like, how do you get juice during the normal course of your day, normal course of your life? You get that from community and engaging engagement in your community. And um, now sometimes you can be a, you know, crazy psycho and, you know, it's just like, you don't need anyone. You just like work all day long and do your own thing, which is what I did for a while. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I ran out of juice. (laughs) It's not, it's not a sustainable. No, especially when you're not getting life especially when you're not around people in a community with that sort of energy. Right. And so that's part of like, you know, part of the reason I like doing this podcast because I want to try and and why I'm excited to work on chosen is like, I actually want to inculcate that um, energy and that, you know, an aspect of our relationship to be that. And I want to do that with, you know, anyone that (laughs) is interested. 
because I have a lot of capacity for that kind of energy. But I, in the course of my life, 98% of the time, I'm the one that brings the energy to the relationship every single right. time or to the context every single time. And that just after a while, it's draining. It's like, I would rather be miserable by myself than miserable talking to you, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And so- I do have that effect on people. <laughs> Only when you're not funny. That's what we should call this podcast, the miserable podcast. Yeah. There's too much positivity out there. The miserable bunch. <laughs> the mm. miserable man. <laughs> yeah. All of the miserable man. Um, <laughs> but- I wanted so okay, so I think this is what I want to do. I know what gives me energy. It's podcasts like that. It's meetings like the one I had earlier with the technical um, co-founder. Uh, Technicalize in that's he's on the technical side of the development. Technical co-founder of the company I'm doing consulting for, talking about product fit, customer mapping, um, product roadmap, features, all that sort of stuff. Just strategizing and knocking stuff back and forth. Um, Tuesday of last week, I had an hour long conversation with the CEO of a small to medium sized SMB uh, business brokerage in Texas. He's going national. We were talking about the strategy, talking about if there was ways I could help him with one of the four or five different business elements that are going to go into his national business. Um, right. So I get energy from that stuff. I get energy, you know, most of the time for having this pod. Sometimes I'm like just exhausted. I'm like, all right, I got to go to bed. <laughs> Um, but right, I get energy from that sort of thing. So I, I get energy from those sorts of conversations. I get energy from those sorts of books. I get energy from those sorts of podcasts. So I know what brings me that energy. Do you feel like you know, or not, forget your feelings, what brings you energy? Whether it's this same type of energy or energy and like, you know, energy to sleep, right? Whatever, whatever the thing is, like, what are the things that give you energy? And what is that energy towards? Well, I mean, I think that I'm in the process of figuring out exactly what it is that gives me energy and how to apply that in the different aspects of my life. And then also how to monetize it as well. So I'm not sure that I have a very, I don't think that I have very precise descriptors of exactly what gives me energy i can point to different moments and yeah, yeah that's different experiences yeah talk about the moments and experiences uh well so i mean i guess work related i came on as the manager of this warehouse a month before the their busiest time of the year which is november and so I started and I learned, I mean, it, it wasn't, it's not a very complicated job, but still. Um, so, so the expectations, you know, I was, I don't know what the expectations were on, you know, my superiors and um, in terms of handling the pressure that came along with being in charge and they're in a, they're in a different state <clears throat> and their fulfillment center is over here and, they just hired me on. And so there was a certain level that I, there was a certain level in which I wanted to present myself. And so, you know, coming in for the Cyber Monday, Black Friday sale, we had 5,000 orders. I hired someone, an extra person, 
And we did 8,000 orders that week and 16,000 orders that month. It was the biggest month, the biggest sales that they that the company has had ever done. Uh, and so I got a lot of energy from the expectation from the expectation on me and then exceeding that expectation going above and beyond. There was a day when they were moving out when the owners of the company were moving out, they had a bunch of personal stuff at the warehouse and he flew down here, rented a U-Haul truck and he was gonna, we were all gonna work together, me and then this other guy that I hired, one of my friends to load everything up in a day or two. And so that's what he was expecting to do. And so instead, the day that he got in, he ended up being late. And so he ended up not coming. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to get the whole thing done today so that tomorrow morning he shows up, the truck's loaded with everything that they have. It's all tied down. And all he has to do is drive it back to his house. He's not expecting that. It was like, it was an 11 hour day. It was a long day. I mean, you know, some people work a lot longer hours, but sure. So got in early stayed late, got it done. That gave me a lot of energy accomplishing that and going above and beyond what was expected of me. That is an example of something work-related that has given me energy. And it was the same situation with that busy month where it was huge sales, unexpectedly large sales, and I got it all done um, and crushed it. So that gave me a lot of energy uh, in, and I was, I was even sick that week, but I came in every day and worked sick and still got it, got it done. Um, so that's, that's one example of what I got energy from uh, last night working on chosen. I didn't have energy. I wouldn't say that I had energy while we were putting together our 90 day plan, but afterwards I didn't really want to, I, the obstacle that I'm trying to overcome is just disciplining myself to work on it since I am responsible for it now. Um, and so I liked accepting the responsibility gave me energy, but then overcoming the actual steps and action that it's going to take now to, that goes along with that responsibility. That was challenging, but I mean, last night I reached out to a manufacturer and uh, it was it was a little bit. I mean, it wasn't late. I went to bed early, but considering the little sleep that I got the night before, so working through that challenge and then accomplishing that gave me energy. Afterwards, I was like, I was pumped, you know. Um, so I, I don't know. Those are examples. Um, I, I don't. I would have to think probably a little bit harder to pull those out of my hat from other other experiences in my in my life and just different circumstances maybe relationally or related to sports or whatever but yeah i think that's really good that's awesome yeah i think that i think it's i just think it's really good to understand those things that give you energy and then try and seek them and you're not going to find them all the time. And sometimes you're going to be completely out of energy. Like I've been, you know, not that I haven't had little spurts, but like I've been for the last many, many moons. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and like right now I feel pretty excited. I'm working with people that are excited to work with me that want me to, you know, or like, Hey, can you take on this? Hey, what about that? You know? Oh, you've got capacity for more. Oh, thank goodness. Like, Hey, like we're excited, right. That's giving me a ton of energy. 
it's like the first time I've been excited to check work email in forever, right? Um, and I was thinking about it all weekend, you know. And you know, I was at the river thinking about this SOP, like, oh, how do we do this? Like, how does it look like? You know. Um, and then having again having these conversations, listening to that podcast, I'm talking about not just Mr. Beast, but this like whole it was an hour and twenty minute long podcast of these the two and Ben, um, not Ben Levy, but Ben Wilson, who's the producer for My First Million, and also the you know owner, whatever mastermind behind How to Take Over the World podcast. And he's actually the one that Mr. Beast reached out to first as he listens to his podcast. And, um, and basically listening to the three of them break down this, this, you know, this, this camp that they did was just, you know, it was awesome because, and it's like, I want that in my life and I don't know how I'm going to get that in my life, but I'm going to figure out how to, you know, keep striving for that so that I can have, you know, five, 10 people. So I can be somebody like I want to meet interesting people and I want to be someone that interesting people want to interact with. Um, and so that was just giving me energy today. Um, but the point being is, you know, some, you don't always have that energy, but if you know what things give you energy, then you can look for them versus just being like, I don't know. So even when I didn't have energy, I knew what gave me energy, right? Over the last several months. It's like, I know this is what I want. I know this is what I want. I know this is what I want. Uh, you know, so how do, how do I keep being the sort of person that, these sort of people, you know, want to interact with that, that get, that is a part of this kind of energy and is giving off this kind of energy, giving other people this kind of energy. Right. Cause like, I feel like we interact a fair bit. Right. And I don't feel like I give you, for instance, I don't feel like I give you that much energy per se. Um, and like, I send a lot of stuff to like our, you know, our text group and whatnot. And I don't think I give people energy, um, but me sending it gives me energy. And it gives me energy when people interact with it. <laughs> um, but I don't think it gives other people energy, but it gives me energy to send it. And sure. so I think that there's still people yet in my life um, that I have yet to, you know, yet to meet people in my future that I think will basically respond to that energy and match it. Uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm really excited about that. And, you know, who knows when, or, you know, if even technically, you know, but who knows when that'll happen? Cause I think it will. Um, and like how that'll come about, it'll could be totally random. And there's been dozens of times where I thought, Oh, these are the people that are going to, you know, do that. Oh, these are the people that are going to do that. It's like, no, no, no. I could still reach out to them, but it's not, you know, not like this. Hey, did you see this thing? No, I thought that was so cool. Like I, you know, it struck me like this. Oh yeah, it's great. All right. You know, talk to you tomorrow or whatever. So anyway, um, yeah, it just it just got my brain turning and you know got me itching in a good way to you know, to to execute and to keep executing and it gave me also I think it reinforced and gave me a positive um, a positive or reinforced a positive view towards having that because again it can get kind of tiring it's like no there are people out there like that there is, there are experiences out there like that. There is culture out there like that. And, uh, you know, like don't give up on being, you know, loving that sort of thing and being that sort of person. Yeah, totally. So anyway, I think it was most of the thoughts that I had for, uh, for this week. Oh, I'll, I'll, we can close with a story. 
um, unless you have any final thoughts we can circle back on. But at the at this camp, so Ben Wilson, he's a uh, He's the producer for My First Million. Basically, he makes sure things go well. He kind of gives them feedback on the podcast. Uh, he'll chip in here and there, or whatever. Uh, really, really awesome guy. And um, he has a very, uh, you know, a much quieter spirit. And, you know, like Sam and Sean, even at times, will describe Ben as being too nice. They're like, come on, you know, have some backbone. He's like, oh, it's okay, I'll go along with it, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, Sam is like, you know, like when Sam wants to, this is a little, it's not vulgar from the standpoint of what Sam is doing or like intending and communicating, but it's technically vulgar, right? But if Sam wants to meet somebody in a new city, Sam will DM them and be like, hey, I'm going to be in town on, uh, you know, this date. Let's fuck. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just his, he's like, it's so lame to be like, let's get a coffee. So he's like, I'm just going to say this. Um, and he's like, it works sure. every time. <laughs> um <laughs> So, right. Anyway, point being, it's like, that's the kind of person that Sam is, right? Um, he's got a little bit of an edge to him, whereas Sam is just not that way. But Sam, before they I mean, went, ben is, or, right, ben, ben is not that way. Um, and Ben, before he told this story in the pod, um, he said, he's like, you know, before we went to this camp, you know, it's basketball camp. He played a bunch of basketball. He's very tall. He's like six, four or five, six, something like that. Um, and he's like, I told my wife, like, I want to go, but I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm humble because I'm pretty sure I'll be the best guy there. And I just like, you know, these are people of like real connections that could really help me in the future. Like, I don't want to embarrass them or like upset them or whatever. He's like, you know, I had this conversation with my wife. He's like, so then we get there, you know, it's going well, whatever. And then we start playing basketball. And this other guy named Nick Huber, who's the uh, storage guy. Um, he, uh, you know, he scores on me. I was like, oh, dang it. You know, I was like, oh, really like him scoring on me. And then, you know, so that like, that pissed me off. He's like, this guy, this guy scored on me. Right. And then he's like, and then Sean, he's like, I don't know, Sean, if you were like trying to rile me up or what, but we get back to the huddle and Sean goes, oh, I think Nick might be the best guy here. Like we gotta, you know, we, we gotta figure out how to guard him. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben's like, that made me so mad. I was like, you know, Sean's telling the story. He's like, Ben was like, F that. Uh, I'm going to guard him like a, uh, I'm a guard him like a wall. <laughs> and so from, from there on, Ben was just like, he was dunking. Nick afterwards walked away muttering, I can't score in this guy, Ben. He won't let anything through. <laughs> but anyway, it's like, That's he's awesome. like, it literally took five minutes. And that whole thing about me, like trying to, keep things under control, whatever went out the window. And he was like, I was mad and I was going to win. Um, but anyway, I thought that was like an awesome story. You know, it's like Ben normally calm, but he clearly has backbone and he's got great. He's like, it literally took five minutes before I was like, no way. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was just an awesome story. Um, and just, uh, it's a good reminder too. It just because someone's calm and quiet doesn't mean that they don't have things that, uh, yeah. that, that they'll go hard in the paint literally uh on so anyway i loved it um any uh any wrap-up thoughts random thoughts final thoughts no i don't think so <clears throat> okay well folks that's where we're gonna end the podcast uh we'll be back next week on tuesday uh this will go up probably later this week uh, i gotta get up 14 um as well as 15 and or uh, 15 and 16 or what? No, this is 16. So 14, 15, and this is 16. We'll get them up. 
and uh, thanks for joining us. If you, uh, you know, if you're listening to this on YouTube or whatever, throw in the comments, what gives you energy? Uh, would, would love to, to hear some feedback and let us know if you kind of like some of this, you know, which topics and things that we cover that you really enjoy versus, you know, us necessarily, you know, hopefully we're coming up with good stuff every week, but, you know, give us feedback, you know, let us know uh, what you, you know, what you enjoy and what things have stood out to you from, uh, from podcasts as you're listening to them or episodes as we're listening to them. Uh, Cause we'd, uh, we'd love to uh, kind of invest in on that. So hope you have a great rest of your week and we'll talk soon.